welcome to the Educational Passages podcast. This is the Mini Boat Traffic Report. Educational Passages is a nonprofit organization that seeks to connect people around the world to the ocean and each other through unique global experiences. I'm your host, Cassie Stymist. Since our last traffic report on March 24th, we saw only one landing, one recovery, and one launch, but still there's a lot of activity to report on, so let's dive in. Well, first of all, happy Earth Day to everyone. I just love celebrating this beautiful blue planet we all live on and thought today would be a great day for a new podcast episode. We also announced today the winners of the fourth annual Recycle Regatta to celebrate. This year, we had 252 submissions from many states, which was double the entries from last year. We saw some schools like Turtle Creek Elementary in Pennsylvania turn into a school-wide event, and some completed it at home. The Recycle Regatta is a great way to remind us all to reduce, refuse, recycle, repurpose, and reimagine. Check out the website to learn more and see the winners. April is also Citizen Science Month, so we're celebrating that too. As our student-built mini-boats are collecting valuable data about the ocean, let's give them a big shout-out too. One of the things I've been trying to encourage more of these last couple years is the use of the data that the boats collect, and we've been making some strides towards that effort. Two accomplishments on that front that happened last month are the inclusion of sea surface temperature data from the mini-boats into the European Atlas of the Seas project, Be a Scientist, Mapping Climate Change at Seas and Waterways, and also including the data from the RORIDA in the NSF LTER's Data Jam competition. Well, now there's even more to celebrate because the first place winners of the Data Jam were just announced, and the overall winner used the mini-boat data set for their submission. The FA Day Middle School, Garrett, Marco, Zara, Julia, and LN with Christine Adamson submitted their project titled Water and Air Temperatures on a Mini Voyage, which explored the temperature changes during the Row Rida's voyage. As Annette and her team said in the announcement, all students are to be congratulated for their hard work, creativity, candidness, and for bringing smiles to our team of judges. We extend thanks and kudos to all teachers and advisors for pushing your students to try something new. The work you do behind the scenes is priceless. And we at Educational Passages also want to extend congratulations and appreciation for all involved. With the Maker Buoy Sensor Pack, which Rowrida and now almost two dozen other mini boats that have them installed, that are helping us collect that data, including air temperature and surface water temperature, are also capturing pictures with those that have the on-deck camera. And Lancer, which was launched in December from the Canary Islands, started capturing pictures of a bird on the deck. As the picture-taking ability is quite a manual process due to the high cost of sending data through the satellite, the images are taken at pretty random times, so the probability of seeing something surface, like a whale or fish, is low, as you can imagine. I never really thought about the possibility of capturing something resting on the deck, But that's what happened on March 26th. We posted the picture on social media and at NameThatBird on Twitter identified it as a bridled tern. They noted that the white going above and beyond the eye separates from a sooty tern. They'll take any opportunity for a rest that is safe from sharks. So we did some further research and it definitely fit the bill. Ebird said that bridal terns usually stay far offshore, often seen perching on floating wood or debris, rarely seen near land except when blown off course by a hurricane. 
Well, the first time we saw the bird was about 100 kilometers north of Turks and Caicos, but it wasn't the last time we saw it. It either hung around resting or came back for the sunset as we captured another picture of it later that day, and again on March 31st. On April 2nd, it wasn't there, but we got an angle that shows the sail is still attached, just dragging at the bow, so that answers our question from last time. I do wonder if the bird would have landed to rest if the sail was still intact. But we continued to take pictures, hoping to document our rider's behavior, and even caught a picture of it in the moonlight on April 7th, 12 days after the first spotting. We're pretty sure it's the same bird using it as a strategic advantage for rest in between meals. And then, on April 19th, we captured another picture of a bird on a deck, but it wasn't the bridal turn. We did some research and think it is the brown naughty turn. We got a couple more pictures of it on April 20th, including one either mid-flight or sitting on top of the camera. It was gone on the 21st, but later that afternoon, guess what? A black and white bird appeared looking very similar to that bridal turn, but that's almost a month later from its initial post. And what are the chances of it being the same bird? But we caught another picture of it today on April 22nd. If there are any bird experts out there listening and want to weigh in on this, we would love your help. And it's also looking like Lancer may get recovered today. So I'll save the full story for that one, but it is in active story developing as I record this. Very exciting stuff coming from Lancer. And since it is Earth Day and Citizen Science Month, I want to take this opportunity to emphasize that our mini boats are not just for fun. They're educational and informative, and these cameras and additional sensors we continue to add will help us all better understand our ocean. We hope these stories and sightings will inspire others to learn about how we're all connected by the ocean. As one description of the bridal turn said, that they habitually rest on flotsam at sea. I think I'd like to propose an addendum to that description because mini boats are not flotsam by NOAA definition. Maybe it could say habitually rest on flotsam at sea and other drifting objects because I'm sure there are other research instruments out there at the surface that birds and other animals are also using as a resting spot as they would on natural objects like driftwood. One of the hardest things about our work is understanding the balance between collecting valuable information and sending something out to sea without knowing what will happen next. And that is why we're all working hard to build stronger boats, upgrading tracking systems so they're solar powered, and adding as many sensors as we can to collect the most information as possible. This is the benefit to not only students creating the boats, but the researchers using the data on the other end. Well, and the students using the data too. One of the last active mini boats with the old GPS tracker, the ones without the solar panels, is the HVS Cruiser, which was sailing north of Madeira on the east side of the Atlantic. We thought it would go south and make a landing, but has skirted around to the southwest. I'm hoping that it will travel to the Canary Islands or loop around and land on the south of the island as the battery is pretty low. But it's been 530 days and over 20,500 kilometers. That is half the circumference of the earth in a straight line. So I would imagine the batteries are low. I just wish there was a solar panel on them to charge them up. And sometimes many boats will just stop reporting, even with the new trackers. And we won't have answers as to why until they make land and we can see the physical evidence. But sometimes we can infer causes like water infiltration by looking at the behavior of the GPS reports and also the battery levels. We work closely with the company AssetLink to help figure these things out. And the more we can improve the way we seal the cargo hold and build our boat strong, the better our chances will be of having long voyages and seeing the GPS tracks the whole way. 
that is STEM after all, right? On March 27th, we saw Nessie send a final location in the Pacific, only 1,000 kilometers in a straight line from where it was launched 270 days ago. But get this, Nessie clocked over 10,700 kilometers during that time. That is a lot of loop-de-loops. It last reported east of the Mariana Trench over the western stretch of the mid-Pacific mountains. Yes, there are underwater mountains. We did observe some strange behavior from the GPS, so we think that that water got inside this one in the cargo hold and unfortunately caused complete failure. But the boat is still floating, as the Rye Riptide story from last year taught us anything, it's to not give up hope. But we may be waiting a little longer than four months to see this boat again, as the Pacific has a different circulation system and has been moving a couple dozen mini boats over the years in very different ways than we see in the Atlantic. For example, we didn't see Titanic for two years. It landed in 2019 in British Columbia and wasn't found until some people were doing a beach cleanup there in 2021. And remember that rumor about a miniboat landing in Indonesia? Well, we don't have an update from the person that reached out to us yet. We know there's a miniboat there because they had to have known there was a miniboat program at the Columbia River Maritime Museum who they reached out to. So we're hanging on to hope and uh, curiosity with that one still. The Indian and Southern Oceans are also different circulation systems than the Atlantic, and we're learning that very well with the Star of the Seas second voyage, because unfortunately the GPS stopped on the 28th. With this unit, the battery was full, but the unit was unable to send its location consistently, so it could be water infiltration or that the system couldn't see the satellite in order to acquire its position to send. That could mean the boat turtled or capsized, remember those terms from last report? But without the sensor pack's pitch data, we don't really know for sure. You know, the crew, the Star of the Sea, was very strategic about the size of the sail, and they also installed a carbon fiber rod for a mast, so we knew the waters were going to be more rough, but the miniboat has not been able to keep up, unfortunately. So how about another positive story then? The Meridian School in Seattle, Washington, reached out to us for an update on their miniboat, the Butterfly of the Sea, because they had noticed that the GPS wasn't reporting for a few days. In fact, it only reported three times between March 16th and the 29th. So we sent a message to the unit because we can do that. They're two-way units thanks to the Iridium Satellite Service, which apparently woke it up and it's been reporting consistently ever since. Although it's not charging its battery anymore, uh, we've lowered the reporting rate to preserve that battery life and we'll keep watching as it sails west. In fact, we almost saw it land in Guam overnight, April 10th to the 11th. It was so close, you have to see for yourself. If you visit the boat's webpage, and we'll post a link in the show notes, and select satellite on the top left of the map there, then zoom into the latest points and find Guam. It's amazing. Since then, it continues pretty steadily westward to Philippines, but you should definitely check it out. And how about another positive story? Well, remember the Liberty that was relaunched by Captain Mark and Angela of the SV Unamas? After many voyages, including a float down the Columbia River in 2020, the Liberty was relaunched from the Marshall Islands over 90 days ago. In the last traffic report, we mentioned that it stopped reporting on March 13th in the southwestern part of the Pacific. Well, on April 1st, no joke, it reported again, and ever since has been reporting about once a day with the battery increasing. So knock on wood here, 
but it's really a good thing that the GPS is reporting because it's been a very interesting track. It sailed as far south as 0.55 degrees north of the equator, but is now going northeast. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on if the GPS can keep charging up. And Destiny is still out there too. It was headed west to the international dateline until April 20th and is now only 3 degrees north of the equator and headed south. Destiny's been at sea for 505 days now and has clocked over 19,000 kilometers. The students at Eisenhower Elementary in Washington said back in 2021 when they built their boat, the miniboat's name is Destiny because we know it will go to great places. So we're still waiting for that to happen. Now let's talk about the Atlantic boats some more and some of the loop-de-loops happening over there. After the first week of April, the Clipper Ripper looped and went southeast and has done a couple big and smallish loops again. It's been at sea only 35 days, but traveled over 3,000 kilometers. This one has the sensor pack, so maybe we can look a little closer and investigate why it's not riding the Gulf Stream, like the Purple Hurricane, which, by the way, crossed the Mid-Atlantic Ridge on April 13. But maybe like the Wildcat Wave, it got pushed to the south. And maybe the sails are gone? I find it fascinating that we were tracking Purple Hurricane only 200 nautical miles in front of the Wildcat Wave just a few traffic reports ago, and now the gap between is much wider. I have a feeling the Clipper Ripper may end up in the Azores or stuck in the middle, following Wildcat Wave and Lady Lance, perhaps. Both Wildcat Wave, which was launched 96 days ago, and Lady Lance, which was launched 160 days ago, have both been traveling about a knot or less and are 400 kilometers west of the Azores at the moment. That's half the distance as last time. So check out the path analysis tool and observe these loops for yourself and uh, see if we can make a prediction. And speaking of hard-to-predict paths, let me share with you the story of the Griffin Cruiser. It's the Beaufort Middle School in South Carolina's first miniboat and was launched off a charter boat on April 7th, about 130 kilometers east of Savannah, Georgia. This put the boat about 50 kilometers west of the Gulf Stream. Well, in normal circumstances, we probably would have seen the wind push the boat east and right into the Gulf Stream, but a storm came through along the coast and sent the boat south all the way to Daytona Beach, Florida, about 350 kilometers away. It was launched on a Friday, and by Monday morning, it had washed up in front of someone's condo. They called the number on the deck and arranged for Beach Patrol to pick it up. Since then, we've been connected with a curriculum specialist down there, Jeremy, who arranged for the boat to visit the David Hinson Middle School, and students will be connecting soon. I reached out to Jim Manning, our mini boat and student drifter expert and recently retired oceanographer from NOAA, and asked him, how often do you see this shelf transport? Jim replied, after deploying about a dozen drifters off Jacksonville over the years, there's apparently a fairly strong coastal current to the south in this region. The only way they can get out in the Gulf Stream is if they happen to get blown out or entrained in an eddy. So the challenge continues. How do we get Griffin Cruiser into the Gulf Stream? We also have two miniboats in Jacksonville needing the same solution. And with the sarcasm blooms in the area, now is a really challenging time to launch these miniboats off the coast of Florida. But we may have a new solution, thanks to Griffin Cruiser's very own Captain Anne. And I'll save that story also for the next podcast episode. 
One of those boats in Jacksonville ready to launch is Hope, which was launched alongside its sister ship Special. Both are from the USS Constitution Museum fleet, and both ended up landing, Hope in Florida and Special in South Carolina. Special, as we noted last time, was relaunched with Dream Sailor, and the two have been staying relatively close together, although Special got a lot closer to Bermuda before they both went east. These boats were not launched close enough to the Gulf Stream, so they remain over the North American basin, but it's still such a fascinating thing to watch, the fact that they were launched together and one has a sensor pack, so lots of information being gathered here. And uh, we also have the launch videos now from Ryan and the crew of MV Colorado Express that launched Special and Dream Sailor, so you can check those out too. I want to end this podcast with a quote from the founder of Genoa Design International, Mr. Leonard Pacor, to remind us of what the Educational Passages Mini Boat Program is all about. The company recently expressed their support of Caitlin and Stephanie for their efforts to travel to Ireland and relaunch their mini boat, which sailed from the Grand Banks to Ackle Island, Ireland in 2019. You can hear more from them and about the Raven Caster relaunch project in one of our podcast episodes, but here's the quote to think about and then I want to leave with. This is where our future leaders begin their journey. That's it for this week's mini boat traffic report. Head on over to the Educational Passages website, educationalpassages.org slash at sea to explore the tracks and stories yourself. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the Educational Passages podcast. Educational Passages is a nonprofit organization please consider making a donation to help us continue our work, bringing people together to learn more about the ocean. To donate, visit educationalpassages.org support. If you're enjoying this program, please consider subscribing to the podcast in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, or from wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening.